Welcome to the Manufacturing Executive Podcast, where we explore the strategies and experiences that are driving mid-sized manufacturers forward. Here, you'll discover new insights from passionate manufacturing leaders who have compelling stories to share about their successes and struggles. And you'll learn from B2B sales and marketing experts about how to apply actionable business development strategies inside your business. Let's get into the show. Welcome to another episode of the Manufacturing Executive Podcast. I'm Joe Sullivan, your host and a co-founder of the industrial marketing agency, Gorilla76, where we help B2B manufacturers grow through revenue-focused marketing programs. One common theme that I hear from talking to so many manufacturing leaders is that the motivation for today's workforce goes much deeper than salary and benefits alone. Individuals want to know that they matter, that their work is making an impact, that they have a voice and that it's being heard. My guest today spends as much time with employers as he does with job candidates, and he's here to talk about what today's manufacturing workforce actually wants. Let me introduce him. Michael Sullivan has been part of the Miller Resource Group family since 2016. Michael currently leads their business development and recruiting efforts for the factory automation, motion control, robotics, machine vision, and AI industries. Over the years, he's built several strong and lasting relationships with manufacturers, custom machine builders, systems integrators, high-tech slash value-add distributors, and several unique startups. Companies turn to Michael when they need to find a top-tier sales, engineering, and leadership talent for their organization. Michael attributes much of his success to the values he learned from his parents and always following the golden rule. Outside of work, Michael enjoys annoying his wife telling the same dad jokes to both of his children, furthering his self-described expertise on the grill and a cold beer or two. During the fall, you can find Michael cheering for his beloved Notre Dame football team, and he's a very strong supporter of first responder, military, and veteran communities. Michael, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, man. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Well, we got some common ground here, both between our last name and there being a Notre Dame football fandom in the family. And my wife is an alum there. And we were just chatting about that a few minutes ago. And hey, I can relate to you on claiming some expertise that may not be validated on the grill with a, a beer or two in hand. So um, we could talk about all that stuff uh, in addition to <laughs> what we've got lined up. Sounds good to me, man. Yeah, two, you get two Sullivans together. It's a party. It's all. You yeah, need. that's right. You got that uh, Irish background, and yeah, it's we'll, we'll be ready to roll here. So yes, sir. Very good. Well, Michael, I was hoping you could kind of kick things off by just telling us a little bit more of your backstory and sort of how you found your way into recruiting in the manufacturing sector. Yeah. No. Absolutely. So uh, you know, again, my. I guess the uh, professional life, if you will, started almost twenty years ago, where I. Kind of by accident, got into admissions and recruiting in higher education. So I started out with Colorado Technical University, which had developed a, a pretty robust and still to this day has a pretty robust online degree program. Uh, so I kind of worked my way up through that department. And then my wife and I you know, were wanting to start a family and I was working a lot of you know, nights and weekends and there wasn't a lot of balance. And so I was looking for a change, and that led me to ThomasNet, which uh, a lot of folks probably know or at least remember the, the green books from back in the day. So that work at ThomasNet was really cool because that was kind of my foray 
into manufacturing and kind of the industrial space. So, you know, getting to go in and do the factory tours and, you know, see how stuff was made. Right. So I just found that really cool. And then time came for me to make a change. And I had remembered a lot of people from earlier in my career had transitioned from admissions, you know, into recruiting at different levels. And that's how I, you know, stumbled across Miller Resource Group. And uh, that was seven years ago. And it's basically been the perfect kind of marriage of what I like to do and what I'm passionate about is helping people and helping companies. And obviously I still get to do that with within the manufacturing space. So that's basically been my background. Like I said, nobody wakes up you know, as a kid and say, I want to be a recruiter when I grow up. It just it just kind of happens that way. But by far the best decision that I have made in my life coming here. That's cool to hear. And it's such an interesting time, I imagine, in your world to be in recruiting and specifically in the manufacturing sector. I mean, we all know there is a major skills gap going on in manufacturing. There's a need for labor. It's often hard to find. And it's kind of skills gap is widening at an alarming rate. You and others have spoken to me about what we've we would call, I guess, an awareness gap, or that's the the term you used when you and I were chatting recently as well, in terms of sort of how the outside world perceives jobs in manufacturing. I'd be curious to hear your take on this and sort of how we combat that awareness gap problem. The awareness gap is, um, I'm probably not the first one to use that, obviously, but I remember I was on a panel a couple of years ago uh, for Automate Forward. Uh, they were doing it completely virtually, and it was, you know, essentially this topic and and I had referenced the awareness gap and everybody's on the panel just you know nodding heads. So definitely a, a shared, you know, kind of a shared belief. I I mean obviously there's still a lot of you know outdated views of the industry. Unfortunately, I think you know people still have this image of the old Henry Ford, you know, assembly lines. And it's it's obviously so far from the truth. And I think really to help combat you know that awareness gap, I think it's it definitely has to be, in my opinion, kind of a public and a private sector, you know, working together. And I know there's a lot of different, you know, groups and organizations that are out there that are doing that. But obviously, I think it needs to be much more of a kind of a uh, also a concentrated, call it a grassroots effort, maybe across our educational system. I think that would be a great part, you know, point to start at, uh, you know, things like first, you know, first robotics uh, is great. I know, you know, we know a lot of people that are involved in that, whether they're coaching or judging, you know, the competitions, I think that's great. Every school, frankly, you know, should have should have something like that. I think that companies in this space too can be better about, you know, partnering with, you know, local institutions, whether it's, you know, a technical school, you know, or a four-year, you know, I think there's a lot of partnerships that can happen. And, and I think companies too can improve and evaluate how they're sharing you know, their story. I mean, you and I both know I'm going to be at Automate next week, you know, for a few days. There's so many cool companies that are going to be exhibiting there that nobody really knows about. And I think that, you know, as an industry, you know, if we can continue to advocate, you know, for one another and keep spreading the word and evangelizing the industry, I think it's going to, I think it's definitely going to turn things around. But unfortunately, it's not an overnight fix. Yeah, I would agree with pretty much everything you said there. And yeah, I agree in particular with there's just so much interesting technology, so many innovative, unique companies. I don't think you'd really know it There's unless you somehow were proactively exposed to it. So I think it's right. sort of the collective job of those in and around manufacturing to figure out how we can create that exposure or probably nothing changes there. Mm-hmm, exactly. 
Michael, as a recruiter, I know you spend as much time with candidates as you do with those seeking candidates. Mm-hmm. What have you gathered over the past few years about what today's manufacturing workforce actually wants from employers? Yeah, no, good good question. And I think that has maybe shifted a little bit since COVID hit, I think. And I, I think I referenced this before when you and I were speaking. I think initially when everything was shut down and people were home and just kind of alone with their thoughts, you know, they really had time to look in the mirror, you know, and kind of evaluate, you know, what am I happy with my situation, whether it's, you know, professionally or, or personally. And I think, you know, you fast forward to present day, a lot of times when we're talking with candidates about, you know, what's motivating them for change, oftentimes they they will say something along the lines like, you know, I, I want to know that I matter, you know, to my company. I don't want to be just another name on a spreadsheet. You know, so that that comment it comes up quite often. They want to know that they have a voice and not just not just a voice, but that their opinions and their ideas you know, will be heard and be considered. How do I as an employee, how does the work I do? Is it making a difference? Right. Is it making an impact, whether it's economically or you know, socially or what, whatever is motivating to them? Uh, they want to know that you know, they're making a difference and the work that they do matters. Um, you know, what ultimately, what is the impact? So that, those are, you know, comments that come up quite often. It's not really, and it could be a generational thing. It's not really just what's my title and what's my salary going to be. I mean, obviously that's part of it, but there's a lot of those, you know, other intangibles that you maybe not, maybe weren't as important to prior generations, but definitely now that seems to be more prevalent uh, when we're talking with candidates. I'm seeing a lot of the same in my world. I've been running, co-leading this business for about 17 years. And I think there's a noticeable difference with especially younger members of our team that right now versus a decade ago in terms of being motivated by growth opportunities and where they're going next in their career. And, and those are open conversations we have with them too. We don't, we know not everybody is going to stay with us forever. And, and we want to kind of help, help them figure out how, how do they get to the next stage in their career, whether that's with or without us, but there just feels like a, there's a, a much stronger sense of what am I going to be able to accomplish in my time here that really is needs to be talked about. Yeah, exactly. And and I think adding on to that too, and I know it's easier with, if you're a smaller to medium-sized business, or even if you're a larger, you know, enterprise, but you're kind of segmented. And so maybe you have, you know, maybe a manager has, you know, 10 or 12 people, but they're, it's a 5,000 person company. But I think that if you're managing people, if you're leading people, you got to be able to manage them on an individual level. Because like you were just saying, not everybody's wired the same way. Not everybody's motivated by the same things. So if you're a leader, and you could even discover this during the interview process in terms of where is somebody really coming from? What gets them going every day? And we keep that in the back of our minds. You know, you can continue to cultivate that as part of the relationship you know, with the employees is just, you know, not managing everybody the same. And I think that sometimes it gets lost along the way because we just get so busy in the minutia of things. But yeah, if you can almost kind of take more of kind of a personalized approach to an individual employee, that's going to go a long way, I think. Michael, what are some of the ways you see manufacturing organizations just missing the mark time and time again on the recruitment front? 
Yeah, no, good question. Again, I think the one that's really been, I guess, standing out the most the last couple of years because the market has been so candidate driven, obviously, and just the hiring has been at just a frenzy. There's companies that are still having these long, drawn out, laborious, you know, interview processes, and they're basically missing out on their top talent because somebody comes in and has been a little bit more flexible and a little bit quicker. And they're the ones that are snatching up, you know, the talent right now. So a lot of the clients that we work with that have been winning in those types of scenarios, they were able to sit back and say, okay, what steps can we maybe eliminate or what steps can we combine so that again, we can be fast but not reckless, right? So that's always a fine line, you know, when it comes to hiring talent is it's very easy to, to miss hire and that could be very costly. So if you can find a way to, you know, kind of streamline that process, um, definitely something that we recommend. Like I said, a lot, of, a lot of our clients are doing that. They're doing a great job. Another thing too that I think really would kind of help is, if you almost approach it from a, a top-down point of view, meaning if you can set it up where the very first conversation that a candidate has is with the hiring authority so that both sides can really qualify that right off the bat and you're not wasting a lot of time, you know, maybe two, three, four steps in, they finally get to somebody that they can talk you know, strategically with and then there's just a mismatch and you've wasted all that time, right? So that that's another thing too that we see that if companies can start off kind of you know have the higher higher level conversations first and fill in all those blanks and then you know take it from there. That that's a winning strategy. Let's talk about employee benefits a bit here. How do you think manufacturers can be more competitive in this arena and in such a candidate-driven market? Is there anything creative you've seen organizations doing with benefits? Sure. I think the you know, the first one that, that is, is I don't want to say more and more, you know, getting adopted, but I think the unlimited PTO, you know, for example, um, we've had a lot of clients that, again, they set it up in such a way where, you know, you have to give obviously some advance notice, but they don't really track, you know, PTO anymore. So they scrap that accrual system and um, they give their employees a lot more flexibility in a sense there. Again, hybrid versus remote, um, that always is something that that uh, is a good talking point as well. If you can swing that, I realize that, you know, especially if you're looking at you know engineering roles, for example, it's very difficult to do that work 100% remote. So there has to be you know some some on-site and in-person, which is fine. But you know if you can you know come to some common ground, you know, with some flexibility there. In terms of the insurance, we've had you know a lot of companies that they can't necessarily pay top dollar. You know, from a salary standpoint, they'll get creative on the back end, you know, whether it's, you know, not just, you know, uncapped commissions, but maybe having accelerators, you know, built in. So if somebody comes in and they really crush it, you know, they're going to get rewarded for the efforts. We've had other companies, too, where they will cover more of the insurance uh, costs, not only for the employee, but maybe for, you know, their family as well. So, again, we can't compete. Um, on the salary on the front end, but we can help on the back end with the benefits. You keep more in your pocket then. So it kind of closes that gap, you know, a little bit from a from a net income standpoint. So those are just a, a few things, you know, that we've seen over the years as well. Okay, let's take a quick break here. I want to let a couple of our strategists at Gorilla76 tell you about something pretty cool that we're doing right now for marketing folks in the manufacturing sector. 
Peyton and Brendan, take it away. So I'm Peyton Warren. And I'm Brendan Forrest. Twice a month, we host a live event called Industrial Marketing Live. Right now, we have a group of 50-plus industrial marketers from a variety of manufacturing organizations that meet up digitally to learn, ask questions, network, and get smarter. Every session has a designated topic, and one of our team members at Gorilla76 opens up by teaching for the first half hour or so. Topics have included how to do a better manufacturing webinar, getting started with paid social on LinkedIn, how to optimize your website for conversions, creating amazing video content, and so much more. After we break it down, we open it up to Q&A so we can help you apply all of this in your own businesses. This is pure value, no cost, no strings attached, no product or service pitches, just a 100% unadulterated learning experience. And on top of these live sessions, we've also opened up a Slack channel where attendees bounce ideas off each other and learn together between sessions. We're building a true community of manufacturing marketing professionals here. So if you or someone at your company has the word marketing in his or her job title, please consider telling them about it. They can visit industrialmarketinglive.com to register. We'd love to see you there. Michael, shifting gears here a little bit. I know that you are just a huge advocate for manufacturing automation. And it's a passion of yours from what I've gathered in our conversations. And when I see you talk about digitally... Given the struggles of finding labor, we're kind of quickly moving toward a place where automation is becoming more of a necessity and as opposed to a nice to have. And I'd just be curious to open it up and let you speak about all of this from your angle. Yeah, no, absolutely. So it's definitely, you know, I'll go back, you know, almost pre-COVID in a sense. I remember we were at a conference and um, there was an economist that was speaking and he basically was saying, you know, the 2020s as a decade was going to be this, you know, boom for all things automation. So we knew that was coming. Um, obviously what we didn't see coming was the black swan event, you know, that was COVID. And so we started seeing in the uh, kind of the second half of 2020, when things, you know, kind of sort of open up a little bit more, depending on where you were living at the time. And we started seeing companies coming to us, you know, late Q3, early Q4 of 20 at that time needing you know, more salespeople at all levels, whether it was, you know, territory, regional, national, all shapes and sizes, we were having conversations about open sales roles. And so we're doing the discovery portion uh, of the conversation. And uh, a lot of those positions, you know, were because they felt that because of COVID, the labor shortage and all, you know, kind of that perfect storm situation, uh, target, you know, target uh, customers of theirs, didn't really have a choice anymore. They had to automate even current, you know, customers that they were dealing with. You know, now they had opportunities to go deeper and wider. And so the conditions were such that, you know, clients, you know, recognize, hey, we we have an opportunity here. And so they were bringing on, you know, a lot of new sales folks and that carried in to 21 and a lot of those same companies then would come back and say, "Wow, you know, these folks are winning a lot of new business for us, but we don't have enough engineers on the back end." to help support, you know, design and deliver on these projects. So then, you know, we're filling a lot of, you know, application engineer roles, controls engineer roles, you know, those types. And then obviously again, team sizes, you know, are doubling and tripling in size. So those same companies are saying, hey, Sully, we need a new manager here. We need a new director here. So that has carried on, you know, for the last couple of years. And the, you know, we track it along the way and the numbers will fluctuate, you know, a little bit, but, it's been really cool to see that anywhere from 60 to 75% of all the positions that we had filled or that we're working on were newly created. 
They hadn't existed before. So that adoption, that accelerated adoption for automation obviously created you know, a lot of opportunities for those companies to grow. And it also created a lot of new jobs for people as well. And so that's been you know, really cool to see. We are starting to see a little bit, I would say, of kind of a normalization, if you will. So companies are still hiring, but just not at that kind of frantic pace that we saw you know, the last two years, but I still would not want to be associated with any other industry except automation robotics. I still think this is going to be, you know, a very strong sector for the foreseeable future. Well, it's great to get your perspective on this. I mean, I make assumptions from people I talk to, but you, you see you have like a window inside of this working with so many businesses in that area. So it's great to get your perspective. Are there, are there any, as we talk about automation, robotics, are there any sp- specific leaders, whether it's people or companies that you'd point to and say, check out what these guys are doing or listen to what they have to say? Yeah, no, good question. I mean, we're obviously blessed with you know getting a chance to work with and establish relationships with a ton of folks all across the, uh, the automation ecosystem, if you will. But some of the ones, you know, in terms of leaders, I really like um, what Walker Maddox and his team is doing down at Gray Solutions there in Lexington. Just a, a really cool company that that's growing and, and I think kind of doing things the right way there. I like Andy Sanderson, you know, at Telesis. He's we've developed a really strong friendship as you know, we've kind of helped him build out his team. I like what Misa is doing at Formic and, and Bernard at Rios in terms of robots as a service. I mean, that wasn't even that wasn't even a term. When I first started here was was robots as a service. So that, you know, that's really been, you know, cool to kind of see that take off and get adopted. The one thing though that then this has been this has been something that I've noticed lately is the voices, what I would call the voices of the industry. So and we probably know a lot of these, you know, same people, but folks like, you know, Chris Lukey and Jake Hall and Will Healy and Tim Wellborn, you know, yourself. You know, the Mavens of manufacturing, uh, shout out to the ladies uh, at Mavens. I really like what they are doing collectively as a group, especially online with the social piece. And then, you know, when they, when, you know, when we have the in-person events, you know, and they're broadcasting and they're putting out a ton of good content, that is resonating so much, I think, especially with the younger generation. They are the voices, kind of the next gen, if you will, for our industry that are the voices that are really kind of putting the spotlight on everybody and companies. And they're the ones that I think are turning a lot of people on, you know, to automation or manufacturing because of how they're, um, you know, how they're approaching it. There's two others though, too, that I really, I, I admire for not only what they're doing, but how they're doing it as well. Um, the first one is Andrew Crow. I love what he's doing specifically for, you know, the inner city and the rural communities I think that he's definitely a huge, you know, champion for everybody right now. So I, I just I love you know everything that he's putting out, everything he's doing. And I know there's probably similar programs like this too, you know, nationally. But I really love what you know Kathy Walker has been doing um, in Eastern Kentucky at Ecami. Um, you know that that immersive program is spitting out a ton of skilled workers. You know, for that part of the state. Um, and beyond. So that that's an example too, eCami of something that if if that if that type of a setup can be replicated in all 50 states, that also probably would help close, 
you know, that that skills and that awareness gap that we were talking about earlier. So, yeah, special special shout out to Andrew and Kathy. Those are definitely, uh, you know, some some major players, you know, for us in the industry and, uh, and kudos to what they're doing. Yeah, I'm glad to, glad to hear you say a lot of names that, yeah, I, I would agree with. I'm following a lot of those people. And uh, you mentioned a few at the beginning I'm going to have to take a closer look at. But yeah, you know, Megan Zimba and Mavens and yep. Andrew Crow, Will Healy, um, Kathy Walker, Jake Hall, Chris Lukey, all, all people I've had on this show as well, talking yep. about all this from their angles. And yep. and man, it's there's some there's some powerhouses there and you can see what the, where the future of, of manufacturing and automation is, mm-hmm. is headed with uh, some of those Absolutely. folks. So I probably missed some names too. So maybe when we do part two, I'll, I'll have <laughs> yeah. some others to share. <laughs> yeah, yeah, ab- absolutely. Very cool. Well, Michael, is there anything I didn't ask you about today that you'd like to add to this conversation? I mean, not that I can think of off the top of my head. I mean, the, the only other, I guess the only other thing that, you know, that I would, I would, you know, want to mention is that, you know, our, you know, our ties to the industry go back, you know, our, our boss literally recruited, you know, the first team of sales folks that went out when the PLC hit the factory floor. So when we say we love and we advocate for the industry, I mean, we really do because we've been around it so long and we've played a small part, you know, in helping it grow, but man, it's, it's fun. It's just really fun to be associated with the industry. And I've, I, like I said, I've been blessed to meet so many, you know, great people and work with great companies and have formed some really strong friendships all along the way. So yeah, it's, it's just kind of my, my parting thought. And I appreciate you, you know, having me on too. Uh, like we said, it's probably been, uh, it's been a long time in the making, but you know, again, thank, thank you for this opportunity. And, uh, you know, again, everything that you're doing and have been doing, you know, for the industry as well, we appreciate it. Awesome. Well, right back at you, Michael. It's, it was a pleasure having you on here. And yeah, we, we were overdue to do this. So tell our audience where they can get in touch with you and learn more about what uh, Miller Resource Group is doing as well. Yeah, absolutely. So obviously, you know, LinkedIn, uh, connect with me um, on LinkedIn, Michael Sully Sullivan. Uh, you can follow the company on LinkedIn as well. Um, we have a ton of good content, you know, that we put out. So any, you know, if you want to direct message me, you know, email, you know, text, whoever works, all my contact information is out there. So any individual that would need our help, you know, with their career journey, we're here. You know, our advice is always free. If you're a company and you're struggling with attracting and retaining, you know, top sales, engineering, you know, leadership talent, we're here to help any way that we can. Beautiful. Well, Michael, thanks for doing this today. Thanks for having me, brother. Appreciate it. You bet. As for the rest of you, I hope to catch you on the next episode of The Manufacturing Executive. You've been listening to The Manufacturing Executive Podcast. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you'd like to learn more about industrial marketing and sales strategy, you'll find an ever-expanding collection of articles, videos, guides, and tools specifically for B2B manufacturers at gorilla76.com learn. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.